Hello and welcome to the 3H2 Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility Radio Show. Each episode, Lynn and Mustachio will explore continuums of meaning, varied perspectives, and thought seeds to place in the garden of the mind. Who knows what will grow? So sit back, stand up, drive or jog, whatever the motion may be, we are here to support each individual's journey to define health, happiness, and a humble perspective during the information era. Enjoy. Greetings! Today is February 12th, 2016, here in the nice and warm and rainy Hilliard area of Spokane, Washington. The snow on the ground has been melted for quite some time, and the rain is a welcomed sprinkle of moisture here to the area. On today's show, Season 1, Episode 12, we will be going over a 10 list for customer service. Today's episode was a bit of a curveball. We anticipated doing another type of 10 list, one related to pish-posh words and all that jazz. But um, Stashu and I had a little powwow. We decided it'd be healthy (laughs) for us and the audience. Take a little break from pish posh content. Have a real life experience to give an example of conscious communication. I think it's one thing to have theories and examples we make up, but I think learning is amplified when there are real world examples, real life scenarios. (laughs) As my dad says, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) One of the beautiful things about real life scenarios is they're not made up. It's people showing genuine emotions with the internet, the way technology and modern civilizations are moving. The smoke and mirrors and fancy names next to someone's name uh, are meaning less and less. It's much more difficult to trick someone into a false persona. So we're going to talk about that today as it relates to customer service. What does it mean to have optimized customer service? And the example we're going to be using today is from Avista. They are a utility company here in Spokane. I imagine they are in other states. I don't know. Mustachio, yeah, we didn't, uh, we're, we're a bit burnt out <laughs> on researching a Vista. So uh, I would say they are a multi-million, maybe billion dollar company as a whole. So this is not mon pa's hardware store down the corner with that i imagine the people we'll be speaking about have large salaries that is a contributing factor to high rates that we pay here in spokane my electric and gas bill last month was 190 dollars i have a small two-bedroom house. It was built in 1880, so it doesn't hold the heat very well. And I keep the temperature for the most part around 65. So it's not like I'm living in warmth. (laughs) When people come over, they comment on how cold my house is, and that's $190. I think if Avista tightens up their inside people, I think that would benefit. We will go over how there is Barbara in customer service, I believe is the main gatekeeper for 
email inquiries sent and I believe a algorithm could replace her. <laughs> My interaction with Barbara is that she's counterproductive. Simple tasks and simple messages I believe would be better sent through an algorithm, sent through some computer automated system that recognize keywords and then dispatch them to the appropriate people. There are many things like that within Avista that could be looked at. So we're gonna go over this uh, with a lens of customer service. And I don't know what these people do outside of customer service, but I do know the majority of them speak in the yellow zone. And it was very difficult for me to achieve pink zone tangible conversations to where what I was discussing and what I was looking for was the same as the person I was speaking with. A key point of the pink zone is not an agreement. I was not looking for these people to agree with me. I was looking for them to understand my perspective. That is a key component of customer service. Not necessarily agreeing with the customer, but relaying an understanding that what the customer desires and what the customer is voicing, having a concern about, is understood. And uh, the 10 list, let's go over those real quick. Number one, communicate through email. Number two, one-touch communication when possible. Number three, answer each question asked. Number four, express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. Number five, include customer and process. Follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and company. Number six, be professional. Remove pish-posh words, assumptions, and emotions. Number seven, Explore definitions and duties of morals, ethics, and legality. Compare and contrast. Number eight, minimize chit chat and fluff. Number nine, organize information through a relevant subject line. Create templates and number questions. Number 10, treat foot soldiers with respect. Escalate an issue. <laughs> That's all the Yeti spaghetti. I'm gonna uh, get the little squeaker toy. Uno momento, por favor, aquí. Okay. <laughs> Number 10. Treat foot soldiers with respect. Escalate an issue before emotions arise. These components were thought of after communications with Avista's employees and two members of local city government. So we're gonna look at this from two different angles. And the subject of the customer service issue is the street lights. The new LED street lights are distractingly bright, needlessly bright. I agree, the old sodium ones, I believe they were put up in the 70s, maybe 80s. Yeah, it's 2016, it's time to replace them. I am on board with that, but why are they so bright? And that pure, crisp, clean lightness, I don't believe is the best idea for nighttime. Nighttime is a time to calm the, the brain down, to ease into sleep time, as opposed to have a floodlight blast in someone's face as they're walking their dog at night. That's, um, I think they're needlessly bright. And I believe that there is an amicable solution. In speaking with Avista and members of the city council, 
the main point was the old sodium ones are bad. These lights are better. Okay, sure. There are ways the LED lights are quote unquote better. They save energy. They last longer. They don't contain some of the toxic components of the old lights, but there are other options. There's a continuum. We talk about here, 3H2Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility. There are infinite possibilities for us as humans in 2016 to upgrade streetlights. And uh, one of the managers I spoke with, Karen Cornwell of Avista, had stated she's not going to change them back to the old sodium ones that I want. <laughs> and that is where number six came up. Be professional. Remove pish posh words, assumptions, and emotions. In speaking with Karen Cornwell, the majority of her responses were emotion-based, yellow zone, just pish-posh nonsense. Another comment she had said was, the lights are already up and there's nothing she can do. Like, what? (laughs) Simply because something is done, that doesn't mean that it's an absolute. There are infinite possibilities. There are other things we can do. Additionally, she had commented the street light near my house was changed. It was dimmed. And I told her I couldn't tell a difference. And she said, yeah, they're pretty much the same. (laughs) So what's the point of paying two employees to come out, to change the light, to do all these things when it's essentially the same thing? And I think these are ways Avista is wasting money and us as residents and consumers are paying $190 for heat, where I believave if a Vista was a bit more pink zone and explored infinite possibilities within their structure, we as folks here in Spokane and beyond could absorb some of that benefit of a Vista having a bit more optimized business practices. So we will go over that. Okay. <laughs> Also today, we will go over five podcasts and five books. The podcasts are number one, Jack Cornfield. Number two, Good Job Brain. Number three, Fearless and Healthy. Number four, Cord Cutters. Number five, You Are Not So Smart. And for the books, number one, Quantum Doctor by Amit Goswami. Number two, Science Set Free by Rupert Sheldrake. Number three, Saving Bernice by Jody Raphael. Number four, Cocology by Nago and Sato. Number five, Essential Scratch and Sniff Guide to Becoming a Wine Expert by Richard Betts. So a little bit of learning, a little bit of culture, some real world experiences. Today's show is quite a doozy. One of the more fun ones we've recorded lately. And I think that has to do with it being real world experience. I like to ponder theories and create applications in my mind of what if scenarios, but these are real life. (laughs) Some of my favorite kind. Uh, Also, the Amiko Swami class on Glidewing begins tomorrow, February 13th. I do encourage folks to, at minimum, check out the site, Glidewing. There are many 
instructors and forward thinkers, paradigm shifters, black sheep, all that stuff. Um, And a perspective beyond university memorization is presented, which I find to be in line with critical thinking. So if someone out there is looking for a bit of a critical thinking challenge, kind of mix things up from the norm, I do encourage looking into Amit Goswami's Glidewing class and other instructors on there as well. Today's listener challenge is fight for community well-being. One of the main stances taken by Avista is if a customer doesn't like a light, then they will put a shield up and do a bunch of stupid, ridiculous things to that one light for that one customer. I disagree with that perspective. I believe in a community approach. And I've spoken with many people who agree that these lights are ridiculously and needlessly bright. So if I have the light outside my house fixed, how does that help my neighbor? What does that do for the community? Not a whole lot. So I do encourage folks with this issue, with the street lights, to take a broad look, to not listen to what a Vista says, oh, we'll just fix your light to shut you up and then blind the rest of the neighborhood and the animals and ruin nighttime. So we need to take a community well-being approach. That's what the listener challenge is about. I encourage people if these monstrosities are up in one's own neighborhood to communicate to the utility company and the city council. As we will see today, not a whole lot has been accomplished, but the ball is rolling. It's so much better than doing nothing. This listener challenge, fight for community well-being, is a fight. It's not dream of community well-being or pray for community well-being. It's fight for community well-being. The founders of Planned Parenthood had to fight to start Planned Parenthood, to have a clinic for women. Many people in our history have fought for our rights today. And we, as able-bodied, mature citizens, I feel have a moral duty to fight for the well-being of ourselves and others. Fight for community well-being, whatever that may be. If these street lights are up, take five minutes. Send an email to the utility company and the city council. Research it. Look into why these lights are up. I think that's another component. The people I spoke with were Barbara with Avista's customer service, the um, Ask Avista online general inquiry, which I have no idea why Barbara is there. (laughs) As we will see, uh, many of her actions are counterproductive. By the end of the thread, she said, I can't help you anymore. Call customer service. I called and then my inquiry and questions were answered right away. So I don't understand why she wasn't able to dispatch the request. Lots of weird things. I imagine there is no supervision for Avista's customer service reps. They're just kind of the blind leading the blind over there. Also, Landon Grant, who is a project manager for the Changeout program. Steve Trabon, a regional business manager. Debbie Simok, Avista Communications. Dahlia Sheehan. A Vista Commission Specialist, so she's a specialist. 
And then also with the city government, Lori Kinnear, District 2 City Council, and Marlene Feist, Marlene Feist, Utilities Director of Strategic Development for the City of Spokane. So we have strategic people, specialists, managers, all kinds of fancy names for these people who seemingly do not do a whole lot. <laughs> and that's kind of a joke Mustachio and I say. Anyone with executive next to their name probably doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> it's uh, ways of the old. Um, and even the eight-hour workday, sitting in an office, that's, that's old world business. New world business is different. Um, many studies, and I believe common sense, point to someone who works an eight-hour workday in an office likely does three to four hours of work. The rest is bullshitting, uh, chit-chat, taking breaks, personal business. It's, um, it's time for restructuring. And the restructuring we're talking about is an approach to customer service. So let's go ahead and first dive into Barbara over at Avista Customer Service. So one of the components we talk about are number three, answer each question asked. And my inquiry was, when will the commercial grade streetlights in Spokane be replaced and returned to a residential friendly grade of brightness? What is Avista's plan for future residential light upgrades? These questions to me seem relatively straightforward. And at this time, I was under the false impression that Avista recognized how grotesque the lights were and were going to change them. So I walked into this situation with a false perception. And that happens a lot in customer service where there is a yellow zone disconnect. So I entered the conversation in the yellow zone. And here is uh, Barbara. Hello, Lynn. Thank you for your email. If you have a question regarding a specific street light, we would be happy to assist you. We do need to know the location of the light and more information on how the light in question is affecting you. If customers are concerned about a particular light, there are options to diffuse the light. We look forward to hearing from you and providing additional assistance in this matter. Sincerely, Barbara, customer service. This also goes in line with number eight, minimize chit chat and fluff. Throughout her responses, it was, thank you for your email. I'm so happy to provide you assistance and all this crap that she didn't do. <laughs> she, at the end, turned me away, said that she would no longer help me and did not provide any assistance. So I do encourage folks in customer assistance, min minimize the, oh, thank you for your email. I'm so happy to help you. This is wonderful. Like, that's a waste of time. And we go into that where five minutes with each customer adds up over time. So really look at each word. Be meticulous and concise and digestible with words. Also, her response does not address my concern of the streetlights in general. She could have said, Avista does not plan on doing that, but she didn't. She only talked about if I have one specific light. Also, a plan for future residential light upgrades. That question was completely ignored. So both of my questions were ignored, and she talked about if I had a question about one specific light. I had responded, my question was regarding the streetlights in general in the South Perry District. When will the lights be dimmed? 
We have been waiting for months to see a solution with no action from Avista so far. When will Avista begin dimming the lights in South Perry? Does Avista plan to continue to install the bright LEDs in other neighborhoods? Thank you. And she completely ignored that inquiry. Didn't respond, didn't do anything. <laughs> so this is Avista's customer service. <laughs> then two days later, I sent another inquiry. And this is one thing with a multi-million dollar company and a specific section for customer service, I would think there would be a quick turnaround uh, at most 24 hours. And I believe if Avista was a bit more efficient, then they could decrease the time it takes to respond and increase the pink zone tangibility of the responses. So then I give her the address, I ask what's going on, and then she still doesn't respond. And then six days later, after I did a third request and asked her, she says, hello, Lynn, thank you for your reply. Karen will give you a call to discuss this situation. If we, if we may help further, let us know. And that just irritated me. And that's one thing with fluff and chit chat and people who are like, I'm so happy to receive your email. Thank you so much. I'm happy to help you. She's not helping. She's not doing anything. If we may help further, let us know. She's not even helping to begin with. <laughs> there is no further. <laughs> so I do encourage customer service managers to teach employees about this kind of chit chatty, useless language. It, um, it's counterproductive. And I have found a consistency as with Barbara, people who use fluff and chit chat don't do a whole lot. And then that's when Karen Cornwell called. And uh, that conversation was, for the most part, useless. <laughs> and a couple days passed, and then I had spoke with Karen Cornwell uh, on the phone when I had requested an email response. And she called right as I was walking out the door. I thought it was the person I was going to meet because it was an unknown number. And it was her, and her voice was so slow. She talked, I'm Karen calling from Avista to talk about the light change. It was like, I got a headache <laughs> just because I had to slow my brain down so much to even listen to what she was saying. And that's another reason why number one, communicate through email, especially if someone speaks slow and doesn't have a whole lot to say, they're a lot less likely to type all that crap out. Uh, that's why emails are good because it's more concise and direct. And then Karen had said that she would email me information about the lights and put a hood over the light and none of that happened. I think because I asked her if she was capable of independent thought, she got pissed off at me and didn't want to help me. And that goes to number six, be professional. Remove pish posh words, assumptions, and emotions. Karen got emotional and let that get in the way of her job. That is a big no-no in life, in business, especially in customer service. People are paid to do something and being upset with a customer and then just blowing them off, that is a poor business practice. And I encourage Avista to look into the actions of Karen Cornwell and Barbara and look at them objectively. Do these people contribute? I say no. So then 
This is over 10 days from my initial request. Barbara responds, hello, Lynn. Thank you for your reply. Karen and Landon have both spoken with you regarding this matter. We will be unable to assist you further regarding this situation. If you need further assistance, please call the office and say agent to speak with a representative. Have a nice weekend and then an exclamation point. Like really? This seemingly professional person blows me off, says they're not going to help me, and then tells me to have a nice weekend exclamation. Like to me, that is childish. She's pretty much saying, go piss off. And oh, it just blew my mind. So then I, 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 was, I became upset. And I said, all right, I'll call the number. And I did. And the customer service rep was friendly, dispatched the request to put a hood over the light. And it worked out swiftly. I believe in modern times, if a phone call is more efficient than the person through text communication, then I think that's a business model that needs to be looked at. And I imagine Barbara works in the same office as the person who dispatched the call. All she had to do was send an email or walk 15 feet over and do something. But because emotions were involved, Barbara told me to go piss off instead of do her job. So I had said, thank you for the suggestion, Barbara. The customer service rep was friendly and knowledgeable. I feel at peace now as someone has taken action. I'm going to file a complaint with regard to Karen. What is her last name? Have a great weekend, Lynn. So then there's me being a little sassy. I imagine Barbara and Karen and Landon, they're all buddies. They go down to McDonald's and their excursion and trade food on the two for two menu at McDonald's and all that stuff. A club mentality is not an ideal approach to business. And I think that's what happened is Barbara got emotional, Karen and Landon, these people I was working with got emotional. It's not emotions, this is business. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Mustachio brings up in uh, A League of Their Own when Tom Hanks, it's not Gina Davis, I forget. Yeah, it's one of the other players. He, he says, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> and then when the player starts to cry after he gives constructive criticism, he's just blown away because that's not the place for it. Similarly, emotions are not the place in business. There's no emotions in business. So then Barbara responds, hello, Lynn, thank you for your reply. See, it's this bullshitted, templated thank you for your reply. She, oh, that irritates me, is it further reminds me how robotic Barbara is and how there are very few signs of critical thinking, of independent thought. It's, it's that zombie mentality. So, hello, Lynn. Thank you for your reply. We can't provide Karen's last name. So there's pish posh word can't. And then she switches tense to we. We can't. Before it was her. And then now she's changing tenses. But the initial of her last name is C. If you note Karen C when submitting your complaint, it will be directed to the appropriate department. If we may help further, don't hesitate to contact us again. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> and then my response was, thank you for confirming I spoke with Karen Cornwell. I'm a bit confused as to why you did not relay the request for a hood over the light near my house. You have my address and work in customer service. 
What is the purpose of giving you information if you don't take action? Much thanks, Lynn. And she did not respond to that, which I didn't think she would, but I wanted to remind her, what is the purpose of her job? If I give her all the information she needs to execute a request, and then she doesn't execute the request, what is the point? Why is Avista paying her if she slows down the process? So that is Barbara in customer service, who I believe could be replaced by an algorithm. We're gonna go ahead and jump to the city council response. So I contacted Lori Kinnear for the District 2 City Council here in Spokane. I find it quite odd. I would like uh, listeners out there to think of her mission statement. And I do encourage folks, check out her website, Lori Kinnear, L-O-R-I-K-I-N-N-E-A-R. And this mission statement was on her website. I'm a former business owner And I know firsthand that running a business and running a government are two very different enterprises. I'm currently working with business owners in my role as a legislative aide to city council to develop business incentives. This is in addition to designing guidelines for our neighborhood centers to better integrate businesses without adversely impacting neighborhood residents. The key words I grab from this are better integrate businesses without adversely impacting neighborhood residents. She does talk about neighborhood centers, so maybe that's the only scope of her business is neighborhood centers. But as we will see, she had pretty much commented that Avista was outside the scope of her business, of her duties. And I'm under the impression That's the reason for city councils, for local government, is to protect consumers, as she was saying, from businesses who operate with less than ideal models. So I had said, greetings, Lori. My name is Lynn. I live in the South Perry District of Spokane and believe you are the city council rep for our area. Please redirect me if this is not the case. I have spoke with Avista regarding the unhealthy effects of the new LED streetlights in a residential area. Karen commented the light near my house would be switched to a residential-friendly grade brightness. Her choice of words led me to believe Avista was in agreement the lights are too bright to be located near homes, as they appear to be commercial grade. A month has gone by and the lights remain at an unhealthy level of brightness. I emailed Landon Grant, the supervisor for this project, who feels the brightness helps him see better, yet he lives in a neighborhood devoid of streetlights. A casual walk near them is different than living with them. He stated Avista is not planning to replace all of them and plans to continue installing them throughout Spokane. I thought they would be replaced given Karen's comment of changing them to a residential friendly setup. What position are you and the city of Spokane taking with regard to the new LED streetlights? I appreciate your perspective on this issue. And her response was, Hi Lynn, I spoke with Avista some weeks ago about the new LED lights as some people in our neighborhoods felt they were too bright and intrusive. Avista assured me that they would work with residents who had issues with the lights shining into living areas or bedrooms. Not sure who Karen is, that you are referring to unless it is council member Karen Stratton. I am copying my legislative aide Griffin on this. 
If you need to speak with Avista directly, he can connect you with Steve Trebaum, who is the regional business manager and is the person I spoke with. As a city and as a city council, we don't have authority to direct Avista with installation of these. We do ask that Avista work with residents for a mutually beneficial outcome. You should not have to be subjected to brightness that is impacting your well-being. Hope this helps. Thank you for reaching out. So I became a bit frustrated with this. I specifically asked her position in the city of Spokane. What, what are they doing to work with residents on this issue? And I also had pointed out that I spoke with two employees at Avista and they were of no help. And uh, she seemed a bit confused thinking that the Karen I was speaking of was with the city council. And this is where I went wrong. I didn't explicitly say Karen with Avista, but I said, I spoke with Avista regarding the unhealthy effects of the lights. Karen commented the light and I, I hinted that she worked with Avista. I could have been more clear with that. But the two things that stick out with me She didn't state her position with the lights. She didn't state the city of Spokane's position. And she said that as a city and a city council, we don't have authority to direct a VISTA with installation of these. If a city council doesn't have direction, then who does? The city council pays the light bill. They're the ones who select the lights. So I was very surprised to hear this. And I commented back, hi, Lori, I'm a bit confused by your statement as a city And as a city council, we don't have authority to direct Avista with installation of these. Avista is a public utility company. If the city and the city council do not oversee actions of Avista, then who does? I was under the impression city government officials were responsible for protecting citizens against negligent behavior of corporations which do business with the public. For example, streetlights. Streetlights affect daily lives of the public. Who is responsible for protecting Spokane citizens from harmful effects of the streetlights installed by Avista? Thank you, Lynn. And her response, hi, Lynn. It does seem counterintuitive. However, and here's however, this is a pishposh word in the next block of pishposh words. We don't have a system such as Seattle where the city owns the utility. Because the utility is a privately owned for-profit business, they are regulated by the state. I have included the link here. You can call Steve Trabon at Avista who will be able to explain this in detail. So this response irritated me. (laughs) Because it's yellow zone. This time I was more explicit. I said I was under the impression city government officials were responsible for protecting citizens against negligent behavior of corporations which do business with the public. And she is telling me that Avista is a corporation and that they can't help. It's not like Seattle where the city owns it. Like to me, this is black and white. I I get that. I get that Avista is a private corporation. That is my complication is that they're free to do whatever they want. And the city is responsible for regulating, for keeping an eye out on these things. And that just blew my mind. And then again, she refers me to someone inside Avista. <laughs> someone on Avista's payroll. I don't want to speak to someone on Avista's payroll. I want to speak to someone who pays Avista. The city of Spokane is the customer. We, as residents of the city, 
the members of city council are the ones who choose what goes on. And then huh, you can call Steve at a Vista who will be able to explain this in detail. Like, it uh, drives me crazy. So communicating with Lori helped inspire number three, answer each question asked. I don't feel as though she answered the questions. Be professional, remove pish posh words, assumptions, and emotions. She was assuming I was a complete moron. And the main one, explore definitions and duties of morals, ethics, and legality. Compare and contrast. She was confusing. I was saying there is a moral duty for the city council to do something. And she was saying, no, we don't have legal authority. So we were barking up two different complete trees. As we will dive into a bit more, kind of the moral and ethical thing. And her response, it irritated me. She's explaining to me that they're a corporation when I had said they are a corporation. So I responded, hi, Lori. Thank you for the explanation. It appears legally the city has no authority over actions of a utility which affects the public. As a private citizen, I have no authority over actions of a VISTA either, yet feel a moral duty to stand up for the health of the community. What about morally and ethically? Am I too old school to put faith in the city of Spokane to investigate and fight for the well-being of its citizens? A concerned citizen of Spokane, Lynn. And she did not respond. <laughs> uh, to that. And because I am an investigator, I wanted to follow the breadcrumb trail that Lori left. And she said to contact the UTC, which regulates utilities on a state level. I wanted to see how that would turn out. So I did. I contacted the UTC and the UTC told me that it was a city issue rather than a state issue. <laughs> and through this whole adventure, because the majority of people I interacted with lacked critical thinking and lacked independent thought, the, uh, the common song popped in my head. Common is a musician and uh, one of his lines says, why do I need ID to get ID? If I had ID, I wouldn't need ID. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel this is. People are telling me I need ID to get ID and it's not this, it's that. Then go to that. No, it's not that, it's this. It's ridiculous. We as modern humans need to think and to explore infinite possibilities rather than assumptions. So I commented to Lori and said, hi, Lori, I contacted the UTC per your recommendation. Thank you. They said the city of Spokane is the customer and picks the lights. Here is the response from them. The customer for the streetlights is city of Spokane. A Vista's approved tariff on file with the Utilities and Transportation Commission provides many lighting options for its customers to choose from. Here is a link to the pertinent pages of tariff. Avista is providing the street lighting in accordance with its customer's service level choice. You may wish to contact the city of Spokane to pursue... <laughs> you may want to contact the city of Spokane to pursue this matter further. So I sent that to Lori. So it wasn't enough for me to say, hey, this is a corporation. Can city government take a look at this? It, it took a lot of coaxing. 
and I added, rather than a state issue, this is a city issue. Because this is a city issue, are you interested in helping me investigate health concerns with the lights? I feel a moral duty to continue to pursue this issue and appreciate your help. Thank you, Lynn. Then she refers me, and, and, and all this time she still hasn't given her two cents. And she's the local councilwoman, and I believe she lives near me and has these lights next to her house or maybe not maybe that's why she doesn't care because they haven't corrupted her yet i I don't know i it would have been nice to hear some of her human perspective Uh, she responded hi lynn i will let marlene feast take it from here she is the public works slash utilities information officer and is better able to address your question so then i got directed to marlene feast or Feist, not quite sure. The Utilities Director of Strategic Development of City of Spokane, so that's quite a fancy name. And she had said, Councilmember Kinnear has asked me to respond to your questions. Avista Utilities is indeed working on a multi-year program to replace high pressure sodium street lights with new LED lights. The city doesn't have health concerns related to the lights. The Washington State Department of Transportation also supports conversion to LED street lighting through its Relight Washington program for small cities. These lights are a better choice for our community for a number of reasons. Number one, they use about 50% less energy than high pressure sodium lights. Number two, they last two to three times longer than those lights, improving reliability. Number three, they have less environmental impact. They don't contain toxic materials like mercury as the high pressure sodium lights do. Number four, they provide improved illumination, increasing safety within our community. The wattage of these new lights is equivalent to the old ones, but the light is whiter in color and appears brighter. In residential areas, a vista can change the direction of the lighting or install a shield to keep the light from shining in a window. If you would like a light near your home to be evaluated in this way, please call a vista customer service or send an email through the contact us section on the Avista website. Thanks, Marlene. <laughs> I went through the contact us section at Avista and that's where I met Barbara. <laughs> who I believe is probably 105 (laughs) and was of no help. Also, it's that same thing. These lights are better than the sodium. Yes, okay, cool, but let's look at what these new lights are. And additionally, if I have a specific problem with a specific light, they can specifically help me. And that's not my problem. It's a wide scale one. This is a yellow zone chain of communication and i do encourage folks be cognizant use critical thinking read words that are read ingest reflect and modify rather than just regurgitate assumptions and that's what it seems these people do a problem has a person has a problem with the street light tell them to call a vista and they'll put a hood on it that that's not solving the problem that's like putting a band-aid on a broken arm it's, that's not going to help. And I said, hi, Marlene. I agree with you. The current lights are a cheaper solution to the old. I disagree with your point of them being better. If I buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's for $1.99, am I choosing a better food item based off health or price? This is my point. The lights are selected because it's cheaper as opposed to healthier. My concern is with health. 
as opposed to saving money. Would it be possible for you to think beyond money and consider the following health concerns? As a council member, I encourage you to investigate on your own the following points. Number one, our commercial grade and brightness. Number two, decrease melatonin production and disrupt circadian rhythm. Number three, are harmful to wildlife due to brightness and color spectrum. Number four, potentially cause irreversible damage to the retina. And number five, create light trespass upon the homes and the night sky. I would greatly appreciate your response to these points as I have researched them and believe them to be worth consideration in terms of public health. Thank you, Lynn. And a couple days went by and Marlene, the Utilities Director of Strategic Development for the City of Spokane, did not respond and has not responded. I don't think she will because she's challenged with critical thinking. I'm not going to just fold and say, okay, put a hood over my light and screw everybody else. No, I'm focused on community well-being rather than egocentric just on myself. So Lori chimed back in, I will forward this to the Spokane Regional Health District. They have professionals on staff that can address these questions. I responded, thank you, Lori. A consistent argument I've heard regarding the lights has been they are better than the old sodium. I agree, the old sodium lights are less than ideal as well. Considering the year is 2016, many options in lighting exist beyond the old sodium and new LED. I hope the city considers options beyond these two types of lights and considers options of health as well as cost. That's my argument for the city to consider health as well as cost. I think that's a reasonable request. And Marlene's response was all about saving money. They use 50% less energy, last longer, don't contain toxic materials, and then provide improved illumination. Well, there's a balance. This is like giving a 16-year-old kid a Ferrari as a first car. It's, yes, I agree. Sure, we'll have streetlights, but why are they so bright? What, what is the point? I haven't received an answer to this. <sighs> Okay, so that's more on the government side. They're not answering the questions I have and just deflecting me back to a vista. Well, I've gone that route. And we talk about another one of the customer service items, express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. In order to express empathy and compassion towards the customer needs, or in this case, working with local government, a resident's needs, is to understand what those needs are. So I do encourage people who want to have conscious communication, who work in customer service, who work in city government, to reach a pink zone understanding of what's going on before just rambling off a bunch of stuff. And through the research, it does appear that the main variable has to do with color temperature. That's why these lights are so bright and just so intrusive is because of the color temperature. Some of the statistics from Avista are the new residential LED streetlights are 6,924 looms, 4,000 color temperature, type three light distribution and 70 watts. The modified residential streetlights are 6,321 looms, 4,000 color temperature, type three, 72 watts. This is where 
I don't understand. So the difference is a couple hundred looms for the normal LED streetlight and then the modified one. Karen was right. They are pretty much the same thing. This leads me to believe, why are they doing that? Why are they changing them? <sighs> Another one of the customer service items that was motivated by Karen Cornwell was include customer in the process, follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and company. So when I had initially commented that the streetlight was too bright, they changed it from the new residential to the modified. There's only a couple hundred loom difference between the new residential and the modified. Karen, as a manager, just switched out the light, which is pretty much the same, didn't notify me as a customer, didn't follow up or do anything. Uh, <laughs> that just blows my mind. <laughs> so number five, include customer in the process. Follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and the company. Because for me to continually send inquiries and ask what's going on, this is a less than optimal use of my time as well as a Vista's time. And that was another comment that Dahlia Sheehan made. The customer has sent several inquiries. Yes, the customer has sent several inquiries because there's no answers. <laughs> If I received answers, then I wouldn't send inquiries. If Barbara, the first line of defense, was able to answer questions, then it wouldn't need to be escalated. Do encourage this thought as well. If it seems like a customer or a resident continually makes inquiries, look into those inquiries. Are questions being answered? View things with a different lens. Look at infinite possibilities rather than assuming one particular outcome. And the commercial grade LED parking lots, the commercial grade LED parking lot lights are the same, the 4,000 color temperature. The old high pressure sodium lights are 2,700 color temperature. And I think that's why these lights are so intrusive is because of the color temperature. It's not a soothing light. It's a bright shot of espresso kind of light. And that is not healthy for people at night. Nighttime is time to rest, to calm the mind. There are many health advocates who talk about minimizing screen time before going to bed because that interrupts circadian rhythm as well. So something as simple as a cell phone screen disrupts the brain's ability to produce melatonin and assist in sleeping. So this is a, a bigger picture thing about intrusive light exposure in the evening time. And I believe this is a subject worth looking into, especially because of the sleep crisis in the United States, how many people are on sleeping pills and can't sleep. And well, I believe light exposure is one of the environmental components to problems with sleep. And uh, Dahlia Sheehan did respond to my five inquiries. And <laughs> so here's a response. I stated that they are commercial grade in brightness. Avista's LEDs do appear brighter than the high pressure sodium fixtures that they replace. 
This is due to the change in Kelvin temperature of the light from around 2700 to 4000. The actual lighting level beneath the light on the roadway went from a maximum of 3.7 foot candles down to 1.4 foot candles with the LEDs. Avista selected a 4000 LED which is on the lower scale of the standard offerings by manufacturers. Here is a color temperature chart for reference. Her response doesn't address that it's commercial grade in brightness for residential. She's telling me there are brighter ones that she could pick and that these are brighter than the old ones. There's still no human response to the level of brightness for a residential neighborhood. And then for the decreased melatonin production and disrupt circadian rhythm, the Rissandler Polytechnic Institute Lighting Research Center has done several studies on the impact of lighting on melatonin production levels. In one of the studies, the potential of outdoor lighting for stimulating the human circadian rhythm, published May 13, 2010, and revised December 11, 2012, quote, under the two or more realistic scenarios, based upon the model calculations, the 20-year-old would not have reliably suppressed nocturnal melatonin above 10% uncertainty level for a saying melatonin after one hour of exposure to the warmer 5200K LED, the MH or HPS sources. Once again, the Avista LED is 4000K LED, which would produce less melatonin than the 5200K LED in the test. So here again, it's completely deflecting what I'm saying. The lights are brighter than they need to be, and she's saying that they could be brighter. And this is one test. I, uh, I don't know, for me, it's intuition. I just see the lights, and I, I feel in my soul that bright-ass lights all along a residential neighborhood are less than ideal. And it's so weird, I'm not feeling any human components from Dahlia. It's all just nonsense. And two, which would produce less melatonin than the 5200. I'm talking about it suppressing melatonin rather than producing it. So I don't even think she understands what melatonin is. I don't think she understands what light does for melatonin production. I, uh, I believe she's just uh, like the Stanley Milgram study. Her bosses tell her to do something and she just does it. And I, I encourage employees to think beyond specific directives from higher ups. So <laughs> this, this one cracks me up. So I commented they're harmful to wildlife due to brightness and color spectrum. Here is her response. Avista LEDs are rated around 4000K color temperature, which is much less than HID metal halide lamps rated at around 6,500K that are prevalent in parking lots, flood lighting, and some street lighting, so the effects of LEDs are less intrusive to animals than metal halide HID lighting. In addition to the actual lighting levels measured in foot candles is typically much less for LEDs than metal halide HIDs. What does this even mean? Why, why would I care about a 6,500 HID light? I'm talking about a 4,000K LED light in residential neighborhood where I saw a skunk walk by. And I've seen many animals, nocturnal ones, who go out and forage at night and then come home before sunrise. And having bright ass 
4,000K temperature lights on them is not healthy. It's not natural. That subject's not even addressed. <laughs> Nowhere around there does it even, oh, it's just, oh, this makes me so crazy. <laughs> but Mustachio points out, I would much rather be on my end of this whole lighting a vista complication. I would much rather be a human who thinks of the well-being of animals and of other people and the effect of lighting on society as a whole rather than be some assumption-based robot. So uh, Dahlia Sheehan, a VISTA's commission specialist, uh, I don't quite understand why you responded the way you did, but I, uh, yeah, I, I don't think any more useful information will come from a robotic mindset. And that is not on the 10 list. But I think it would kind of go towards express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. What are the customer needs? And also uh, Debbie Simok with Avista's communication did not respond to my questions either. Just completely ignored them. (laughs) And I am led to believe she's in charge of communicating and she did not communicate at all. I, uh... So here it is. This is uh, a real life example of customer service. And the 10 list one more time is number one, communicate through email. Number two, one touch communication when possible. Number three, answer each question asked. Number four, express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. Number five, include customer in the process. Follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and company. Number six, be professional. Remove pish-posh words, assumptions, and emotions. Number seven, explore definitions and duties of morals, ethics, and legality. Compare and contrast. Number eight, minimize chit-chat and fluff. Number nine, organize information through a relevant subject line. Create templates and number questions. And number 10, Treat foot soldiers with respect. Escalate an issue before emotions rise. And <laughs> and I escalated through Avista and uh, didn't seem to work out quite as well. Another email that we quite didn't get to was my complications were not addressed. I was referred to the customer service manager, Glenn Madden. And I requested the statistics for the lights, uh, four different types. And then he responded, please excuse my delay in getting back to you as I was out of town last week. Could a couple of us from Avista meet with you in person to answer your questions? This goes back to communicate through email. I was looking for was information regarding the lights, which I imagine, or I would hope, he would know by heart. He's a project manager, a customer service manager. If the information was not in his head, then he would be able to easily access it. And me taking time out of my schedule to go meet with him, I saw that as counterproductive. And also a couple of us from Avista, two rules of thumb here. When asking a customer or someone to meet, Propose some sort of time first. Get the ball rolling on when the meeting will take place, as well as who will be in the meeting. To just say, can we meet 
in person and a couple of us, uh, I think that's less than an optimized approach. Someone like me, I like to have all my ducks in a row. I like to understand what's going on so that I can be efficient. That's one of my goals in life is to optimize and to be efficient. And this also goes back to the one-touch communication. He didn't need to explain to me that he was on vacation or to meet up in person. I think as a good faith gesture, and especially because it was escalated to him, that me as the customer, I've already talked to several people. I've had little forward progress. As a customer service manager, I would recommend in this instance, one-touch communication. Answer the person's question right away without fluff, without personal details. Those things are not important, especially if something is escalated. And this was during the time I had requested information through the UTC, the Utilities and Transportation Commission, because receiving intelligent answers from Avista was non-existent. And then with Glenn's response of, hey, I was on vacation. Can we meet? No, no I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for data. How bright are these lights? What are the looms? What is the color temperature? In my mind, that's something quick and easy that in the time it took him to tell me he was on vacation and all that other crap, he could have just answered the question. Then he responded a couple days later saying, Lynn, I wanted to follow up with you to make sure that you knew that you will soon receive a response to your questions through the utility commission. I don't want to duplicate the response to your questions. So right there, that's very pish posh. Lots of you, I believe this to be an emotion-based response. I think he was upset that I escalated the issue after giving him a chance to respond. I've noticed this in business. If someone fails to do their job and it's escalated, there is a lot of emotion. And it's happened to me where I failed to do a job and something was escalated. And I learned from that. Rather than get emotional and use a bunch of you's, there are five you's. <laughs> in this statement and we talk about how you is an aggressive tense and I do believe he's being emotional and instead of telling me that he's following up with me to make sure that I knew the answers were coming why couldn't he just give me them that's what I don't understand that's why I believe this to be emotion based and emotions have no place in business so then I responded Hi Glenn, I've worked on large projects such as this LED light one and new simple data points like the ones requested by Hart. If not, a five minute lookup would provide the answer needed. The information was requested on January 28th, over a week ago. As a manager, I'm a bit surprised you are unable to answer the data points requested. The response from the UTC continues to be pending. I hope as a concerned community member and a Vista customer, you'll be able to take a few moments and answer the questions. Thank you, Lynn. And then he responded, <laughs> Lynn, our response has been submitted to the Washington State Utility Commission. We contacted them to let them know that you are waiting for their response. So again, I am under the impression Glenn Madden wastes time. Similar to Barbara, he responds, but with no information. This doesn't help me move forward. If he did have the stats on the lights, why couldn't he copy and paste them and send it? It would take the same amount of time to give me, the customer, what I'm asking for rather than this 
fluff and chit chat. Mustachio brings up with the pish posh words feedback where some of the criticism was please 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 look up the word tense clearly you don't know what it means. So with all that effort to say please 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 look up this word clearly you don't know what it means the person could offer their perspective on what the word means really boils down to having words mean something. Move a conversation along. Remove the fluff and chit-chatty nonsense. And um, for these types of responses, I learned nothing. Zero forward progression in working with Glenn Madden, who is allegedly a customer service manager. (laughs) So I encourage folks over at Avista to look into the pish posh words, look into this 10 list, and hey, shoot me an email, 3h2humans at gmail.com. I would love to provide assistance because I am not emotional with this. I recognize Glenn and Landon and Barbara and Steve and Marlene and Lori. All these people have other things that they're working on, have likely children and hobbies and things that they'd much rather spend their mental energy on. I get that. But for me, I do feel if someone has a job to do the best ability within that job, whether the job be big or small, do it right or not at all. (laughs) All right, and uh, we do have the 3H2 Hockey Day with the Spokane Chiefs, February 26th, 7 p.m. Shoot an email to 3H2Humans at gmail.com we have 10 tickets uh free tickets for the game and it may be a nice little escape from the norm and hey any of you over at avista come on down let's uh let's watch a game and uh and chit chat that is a time for chit chat outside of the office outside the scope of business i'm all about chit chat and nonsense and fluff and emotions and being human but when it comes to business be concise and digestible all right that about wraps it up for today a long edition <laughs> Lots of fun, though. I really do enjoy real-world scenarios. And uh, as my dad says, you can't make this shit up. (laughs) All right, Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy. Today is Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016, here in the (laughs) well-lit Perry District of Spokane, Washington. Today's episode is number 12, and we will be going over 10 list for customer service. Recently, the local utility company installed new streetlights in the neighborhood and they are commercial grade LED lights, similar to ones that would be found in a parking lot or some public place that needed to be well lit. And I do believe there is a time and a place for commercial grade lights. I don't feel as though within a residential neighborhood, that's the best place for them. And there was one installed 
across the driveway from my home that lit up my house as though there were a floodlight <laughs> right next door. And after a couple months, I uh, just couldn't take it anymore. And I wanted to figure out why commercial grade lights were being installed in a residential neighborhood. It has been a struggle. I had many complications in speaking with Avista through their customer service, as well as the city council. I spoke with a local city councilwoman. And the main response that I received from the majority of people was, it's not my job. <laughs> so the majority of people, it's not their job to regulate or to look into or to even think about why there are commercial grade lights in a residential neighborhood. And Mustachio and I uh, were pretty frustrated on this journey. And we decided the best way to handle it and to handle our frustration is to create a 10 list. <laughs> That's what we do in times of complication is to understand what's going on, to dissect a process and then find ways to optimize it. We feel through our struggles, we can create some sort of benefit for other people. For me in particular, I've faced many struggles in my life and as a part of my moral code, that's what I've done. If I feel some sort of pain, I work towards alleviating that in others. That's how I heal and how I grow, how I tap into that warrior mindset is to expand more broadly. Yes, there is a floodlight 30 feet from my house, but there's a floodlight 30 feet from several people's homes who perhaps don't have the free time that I do in order to investigate what's going on. As Mustachio brings up, that is our listener challenge. For today's listener challenge, it is fight for community well-being. And this can be anything. For me, it's the streetlights. I feel as though Somewhere along the chain, people were not thinking. Um, I looked into it and the, the tariffs and the documents for the city of Spokane, the majority of them are in wattage as opposed to looms. Uh, wattage is the energy output and then looms is the brightness. I'm concerned with the brightness, whereas Avista and the city of Spokane are mostly concerned with the wattage. How much is it going to cost? and I'm looking at it from a different perspective, what effect do commercial grade lights have on humans and the animals in our neighborhood? It's urban, uh, but next to me is an empty lot with uh, trees. There are many parks and forests in the area. Standing on the front porch, I've seen turkeys, deer. I saw a skunk, there's birds and dogs and cats and many animals who, similar to humans, depend on certain times of semi-darkness. The way the brain works is it's optimized when there's shutdown time, similar to an engine overheating. If an engine is constantly revved up, pedal to the metal all the time, it's gonna experience complications. Human and animal brains are similar to where we need some darkness. We need to, to simmer down and to, to be a bit more natural. So this is the fight that I'm fighting for. 
And even when I say fight, I consider this more of an investigation. <laughs> if Avista's customer service was uh, a bit more thorough and uh, helpful, then it would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds, a mastermind symposium of infinite possibility. In contrast, it has been a challenge with many assumptions. So we'll, we'll address that later. For the listener challenge, we challenge everyone to examine the community. What is going on in the community that would benefit from an investigation, from a single individual giving a shit? That's really what it boils down to, thinking critically, thinking abstractly, and just giving a shit, doing something, rather than thinking, oh, it's not my job, or oh, I don't have the legal power to do things. We explore that too, the difference between morals, ethics, and legality. I believe each human, as a community member, has a certain amount of moral and ethical obligation to give back to the community. So for the listener challenge, maybe that's something as simple as gathering up books for the local library. Or perhaps there's a problem with a public utility or some sort of environmental complication. Or maybe there's a lack of a community center or a local church that could use food and clothing for people in need. Whatever it may be, this listener challenge, Fight for Community Well-Being, is about seeking outside of oneself, looking at something bigger than the self, removing the ego and tapping into the soul. What does the soul say is needed within the community? And then take action. <sighs> and uh, as I've witnessed, it's been a bumpy, challenging road, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep pursuing it until some sort of amicable resolution is found. So I do encourage folks, there may be resistance. People may say, oh, you can't do that. Oh, who cares about people in need? All kinds of crap is going to get thrown all over the place. Just ignore that and tap into the soul and intuition. And imagine, what if I were in that person's shoes? Have compassion and empathy towards others and the environment and the community as a whole in areas that need attention. And I do feel a city council may be a good place to start for certain issues. Uh, churches, there are pre-existing organizations within communities that create well-being. Piggyback, if possible, work with an organization or perhaps, as I'm doing, I'm questioning the actions of an organization. So this listener challenges, in essence, goes one of two ways. Either challenge something that's already in place or encourage something that is already in place. So listener challenge, fight for community well-being. And for the little tidbits, we have had positive feedback on the entertainment section of the podcast. Today, we're gonna mix it up a little bit. We are gonna do five podcasts to check out and five books. We've been doing TV shows and movies and things of that nature. People have asked me, what books do I read? What are some of my favorite authors? Also, on other interviews, that's a, a common question. What books are recommended? So today, we'll go over five books that uh, Mustache, you and I recommend. 
For the podcast, we have number one, Jack Cornfield. Number two, Good Job Brain. Number three, Fearless and Healthy. Number four, Cord Cutters. And number five, You Are Not So Smart. For number one, Jack Cornfield, this was recommended to me by a neighbor. I'd been living here for a couple months and casually said hello, and uh, the neighbor was kind enough to invite me over for tea time. <laughs> it was very comfortable in a, in a classic kind of way, just chatting and drinking tea. It was uh, an enjoyable experience. And we discussed podcasts that we listened to and enjoyed, and she had recommended Jack Cornfield. So I checked him out, and synchronistically, the most recent episode had Duncan Trussell. And I've heard him quite a few times on the Joe Rogan podcast, so I was a bit more willing to listen and to engage myself in the content because there was some familiarity. I like the interview format of Jack Cornfield. Most of his do appear to be monologues and it's um, in line with 3H2Humans where there does appear to be a focus of health, happiness, and a humble perspective to seek spiritual understanding and compassion for others. I do recommend checking out the episode with Duncan Trussell. They explore some pretty heavy issues candidly and openly. And I feel issues of mental health and emotional complications in general are best tackled head on. Open up and be vulnerable. I think it's an expedited way to heal is to be vulnerable because it requires the individual to understand their own thoughts. I think that's why vulnerability is so key. It's not necessarily telling someone else something, but it's internalizing and admitting to oneself, hey, this is what's going on. So I feel that's a a golden nugget of vulnerability is being vulnerable with oneself. So Jack Cornfield, check it out. Number two, Good Job Brain. This is a pub trivia podcast. I've been listening to this one for a couple years. I like their format where they talk about several different categories, like how pub trivia is. There's really nothing off limits. It could be geography, history, pop culture, music, whatever. (laughs) All kinds of stuff. And I like that the, the team on Good Job Brain quizzes each other and they have buzzers and they talk about the history behind questions. So it's not just a straight up question and answer. It's an explanation of those questions and answers. And I I really like that. There is one pet peeve of mine. The host, Karen, each time says, I am your humble host. (laughs) And then Uh, She'll go through the alphabet and say, if it's F, uh, flipping frogs, freaking Friday, whatever. But she always says, humble host. And I do not believe her actions to be quite as humble as they could. Many times when another teammate has buildup, she'll throw in the punchline before the person gets a chance to say so. Or if she answers something right, oh, I'm so smart. And it's, it's strange. And I find a consistency with this 
similar to what I've experienced with Trish Blackwell, where she calls herself a, a perfectionist in healing. And uh, Karen says she's a humble host. It's almost as though people tag themselves with keywords they aspire to be rather than are. And I'll admit with me, health, happiness, and a humble perspective, I continue to pursue what they mean every day. And I believe them to be fleeting mindsets. So then rather a constant, I feel mindsets, words such as humble and perfectionist, and even healthy are fleeting and they take maintenance. Maintenance is required to maintain these types of mindsets. So I would encourage Karen of Good Job Brain to change the H word instead of humble host, maybe change that word up too and to be cognizant of it. And for the listeners out there, listen for moments where she may not be practicing quite a humble perspective. And I used to do that too. I used to be a spoiler alert person and I interject and want to have the last word and always need to talk and all the things. I, uh, I was that way and a mentor of mine called me out and told me straight up that I constantly talked <laughs> and needed to have the last word and, and these character traits that I was unaware of. So pay attention. Put uh, these thoughts into conscious processing. And uh, we're turning over the hourglass now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, number three, fearless and healthy. This was a great find. I am enjoying this podcast a lot. The host talks to health and fitness professionals and his interview style is pretty quick and concise. And he presents himself in a vulnerable way. I feel he genuinely cares and genuinely lives a life of fearless and healthy. And he brings up many topics that I've experienced within my life and wondered if other people felt that way too. One topic was he said how it seems like in relationships, there's one person who's healthy and exercising and all those things. And then there's another person who watches TV and brings home pizza and, and has, um, puts kind of a kink in healthy habits. And I thought that was just me. <laughs> and uh, the experiences in my life, and sometimes I was the person who wanted to eat pizza and not do anything, and my partner was the one lifting weights and playing sports and all that. So I've been on both sides of that meta. And in a future relationship, I would like it to be equal to have times of pizza and relaxing, but then also work out together and engage in physical activities together. So those are the kinds of things that are presented on Fearless and Healthy. It's a relatively new show, and uh, I do believe that it's uh, gonna be going places. Great show. Number four, Cord Cutters. This one is about cord cutting. So I was unfamiliar with this term, it's uh, disconnecting from cable, <laughs> cord cutting. <laughs> and I'm a bit of a tech tard. I don't, I'm not really uh, on top of the new cutting edge stuff. And I like about cord cutters, they do year end predictions of where certain streaming devices are going to go. They talk about features 
And they stay on point for the most part. There isn't a whole lot of chit-chat and fluff and pish-posh words. It does seem as though it's two guys who have a passion towards streaming devices and different modes of entertainment. I uh, remember a couple weeks ago, I was doing my food prep in the kitchen, just listening to cord cutters, and I was entertained and being productive at the same time. And sometimes I switch off with podcasts because I get tired of hearing pish-posh words or the person gets off subject or whatever. One of my little quirks gets me. But with cord cutters, I was impressed that the content kept me engaged, even though streaming devices isn't a deep passion of mine. It's something I'm interested in and I want to know what my options are as a consumer. So they present it in an entertaining way. So that's cord cutters. Number five, you are not so smart. I've been listening to this one for a couple years as well. It's an oldie but a goodie. One of my favorite components of this podcast is the host interviews professors and data analysis type people he's kind of the yin to my yang. Um, I'm not really into all that, the pish-posh words, and much of what we do at 3H2 is from life experience, whereas you are not so smart goes over quantifiable data and measurable facts. And I say facts loosely, because that's one thing I feel, give anyone a bunch of money and they can create a study to show anything. I just feel that's the nature of studies. Uh, agendas and things like that have a lot to do with them but I do feel for the most part the studies which are analyzed on you are not so smart are uh, interesting and captivating as well as several points that I've come across and theorize on the show professors and smart educated people have come to similar conclusions so it's kind of self-affirming in a way as well as entertaining and he does a neat little thing at the end where a listener sends in a cookie recipe and he eats the cookie and like reads an article and he's a neat uh, entertainer. So check out You Are Not So Smart. So the five podcasts are number one, Jack Cornfield. Number two, Good Job Brain. Number three, Fearless and Healthy. Number four, Cord Cutters. And number five, You Are Not So Smart. Uh, Good Job Brain and You Are Not So Smart are classics for me, ones I've been listening to for over a year. But the uh, Jack Cornfield, Fearless and Healthy, and Cord Cutters are relatively new. And I do uh, think they are worth checking out. And onto the books. The five books are number one, Quantum Doctor by Amit Goswami. Number two, Science Set Free by Rupert Sheldrake. Number three, Saving Bernice by Jody Raphael. Number four, Cocology by Nago and Seto. Number five, Essential Scratch and Sniff Guide to Becoming a Wine Expert by Richard Betts. So number one, uh, The Quantum Doctor by Amit Goswami. I have purchased several of his books. Um, I also have God is Not Dead on my bookshelf. I've given away other of his books. Uh, But I would have to say out of all of them, this one is my favorite. So The Quantum Doctor, a quantum physicist, explains the healing power of integral medicine. 
so my take on it is Dr. Goswami explains what's going on in the body in terms of health and healing through chakras and a holistic approach. So taking in the whole body rather than where modern medicine is a bit more of an acute focus. So it focuses on one complication and fixes it rather than looking at the whole self. Also, it was through Amit Goswami where I first learned about chakras and the associations and powers they have. I also like how this book essentially talks about how if a person is stressed out and mentally unwell, it greatly increases physical complications. So dis-ease, being not at ease. And I think that's something that is known uh, being a human, but for me, it's nice to be reminded of it. It's nice to dive into literature of someone who has an educated and compassionate perspective. Also, Dr. Amit Goswami's online class through Glidewing is going to start February 13th. I'm very excited about it, and I do hope there will be some listeners in the class. Amit Goswami is a bit like Yoda to me. Uh, just in one sentence, he can say something profound that will take me months to ponder and figure out. I do encourage folks to jump on an opportunity to learn about aspects of being human from a quantum physicist through layman's terms. But if the class isn't gonna work out, uh, perhaps check out the book, The Quantum Doctor. Number two, Science Set Free by Rupert Sheldrake. 10 Paths to New Discovery. What I like about this book and uh, Rupert Sheldrake in general is that he speaks about paradigm shifts. He breaks the norms and is willing to go against what society says is true. And that takes guts and tenacity. And there are a few theories he proposed which blew my mind. Um, Abstract thought in ways that I had not thought of, and I like that. For me, it's soothing for me to have my mind blown and to be confused and to, to question my dogmas and stigmas. Some of the issues that he speaks about is the total amount of matter and energy always the same? Is matter unconscious? Are memories stored as material traces? Are minds confined to brains? Is mechanistic medicine the only kind that really works? And he also goes over the 10 dogmas of modern science. I just, I think this is a great book for people who want to reprogram their minds on what science is. I think sometimes what is taught in elementary school, high schools, and college is a bit outdated. So if somebody wants to reboot their scientific mind and challenge themselves with potential paradigm shifts to check out Science Set Free by Rupert Sheldrake. And number three, Saving Bernice by Jody Raphael. This was a assigned reading for a criminal justice class at Washington State University with Dr. Lutz. And she was the first person to propose to me the difference between woman and girl. 
when she stated that's one of the problems in society is a muddy line between what is a woman and a girl, I didn't really believe her. I just thought, eh, it doesn't matter. But then I gave it a second thought and I read this book, Saving Bernice, and explored through her eyes the differences between girls and women. And I was profoundly changed. So thank you to Dr. Lutz over at uh, Washington State University. I do feel as though she is one of the professors who teaches with compassion. And this book, Saving Bernice, helped me to better understand teenage motherhood and the complications many women face who are just forgotten among society. And there's some rough parts in the book. And um, for me, it was a very emotional read. It's essentially a case study for one woman and uh, over a couple years of her life. So it's a mix between Bernice's individual experience and then statistical data and other types of information. And what really struck me is how intelligent Bernice is. The profound conclusions she came to, yet she was stuck in a tough life, getting dealt a tough hand, yet she remained so strong on the inside. So I do recommend this book, Saving Bernice by Jody Raphael. And a bit of a, a fun book, a uh, friend gave me this book, gosh, probably 15 years ago. And we used to sit around and play. So this book is more of a game. There's uh, situations, like one of them is if you, so an individual, <laughs> are walking past a garbage can and the garbage can is knocked over street side, what is the situation? Is it empty? Is the bag neatly tied? Or is garbage spread out all over the floor? So it's kind of like a, a mind game and a, a perception game. And I enjoy playing this game with friends and talking about our different perspectives. And then there's anecdotal evidence of if the garbage cans are this way, it means this thing, and just exploring potential character traits. For me, I find this to be more enjoyable than just sitting around and chit-chatting. I used to keep it on my kitchen table. So when I would have friends over, we'd sit down and read the book and sip wine and just BS and have a, a fun time. And there are several additions to Cocology, and it is spelled K-O-K-O-L-O-G-Y. The Game of Self-Discovery. So this is a little fun one, and it's fun to do alone, too. Sometimes if I just need a little break from life, <laughs> I'll flip through and randomly pick a section, and then it, it alters my thinking and evolves my thought, usually from perhaps negative thinking. So it's a neat little book, Cocology, by Naigo and Sato. Number five, Essential Scratch and Sniff Guide to Becoming a Wine Expert. So I have been a bit of a wine connoisseur for 10 years or so, and I've been wine tasting, and I used to throw uh, wine and cheese parties where each person would bring a bottle of wine and a cheese, <laughs> 
and we'd dress up. Oh, those were so much fun. <laughs> but I didn't understand the fundamentals of wine and really the different kinds, even what kind I liked. This book is beautifully written. It's simplified and the scratch and sniff component adds a bit of fun to it. It explains the different types of barrels that the wine is in. And then the spectrum of reds and whites, the different colors, what they taste like. And also in the back, there's the whole wine world. So it's a, a chart with an abundant different types of wine and the spectrum of flavors and all that stuff. And I uh, sat down with a friend and we drank wine and read the book and I had it be a bit of an interactive thing. So I would say the last two books, Cocology and Essential Scratch and Sniff Guide to Becoming a Wine Expert are interactive books where the first three are more of thinking books, uh, self-exploration books. So exploring the self and then exploring wine and perspectives with others. The five books are Quantum Doctor by Amit Goswami, Science Set Free by Rupert Sheldrake, Saving Bernice by Jody Raphael, Cocology by Naigo and Saito, number five, Essential Scratch and Sniff Guide to Becoming a Wine Expert. Those are our cultural snippets for today, the five podcasts and five books. Ah, yes, Mustachio reminds me we will be having a 3H2 Chiefs game day. <laughs> In business, for some reason, I have associated sporting tickets with business, with um, enjoyment, a break from the norm. When I was in San Jose, I had Sharks season tickets, the hockey team locally. And it was fun to give them to customers, employees, friends, whomever it may be. It's kind of a nice break from the norm to go to a sporting event. I'm not a huge fan of watching sporting events on TV, but I do enjoy going to them and I enjoy watching it. I'm one of those people that like to analyze the players, what they're doing, what's going on, where's the puck gonna go next. 3H2 has some Chiefs tickets for the game on February 26th at 7 p.m. It's against the Prince George Cougars. It is here in Spokane at the Spokane Arena. And we have 10 seats as of now. And we would like to get some of the local folk together. Perhaps somebody listening to this found a business card on a cork board somewhere. I placed them in random spots. Or perhaps a casual meeting. I, um, I speak to strangers <laughs> all the time <laughs> and hand out my card. So this gives us as 3H2 humans, an opportunity to get together, to break from the norm. I sure could use some fun time with like-minded people, and I imagine there are others out there who feel the same, just a little break from the norm. So, a free uh, hockey game, the Spokane Chiefs, and we'll probably meet up perhaps at the Viking beforehand, and then head over to the game. So uh, send an email to 3h2humans at gmail.com and just put Chiefs game in the subject line. So the first 10 people 
let's uh let's go let's go have fun and meet new people and experience something new and the season's almost over there's a couple more games and uh even if the tickets aren't from me people decide last minute to go on their own or whatnot shoot me an email I will check my email at the game and it'd be nice to meet some like-minded folk here in Spokane. And it could offer people something to look forward to. That's uh, one of the things I like to do is have goals to say, all right, by this date, I'm going to have these certain things accomplished. Perhaps use that as a goal and let me know the goal. Perhaps it's a turbo clean of the house. The email could say, hey, I'm going to turbo clean my house by February 26th or complete one of the listener challenges by February 26th. Spokane Chiefs hockey game February 26th at 7 p.m. It's a Friday here in Spokane. It'd be great to uh, do like a little meet and greet with um, some fellow 3H2 humans. All right, that's uh, about it for that. And we are going to skip a story time because I do imagine there will be a little bit of story time within the 10 list because this 10 list is based off of my experience with Avista and past experiences, speaking with the city council. And um, I have worked a handful of customer service jobs. I worked at an educational children's toy store I also bartended, so I've tackled customer service with children and their parents, as well as grown-up children (laughs) at the bar, and how those are very different and require different types of reads. One of the main things that I've learned in customer service is that it's not about me, it's about the person. What does the customer want? How can I resolve their issue and have them walk out the door smiling. That was my objective. Selling toys and slinging drinks, those aren't glorious jobs or um, it's not a high paid position. They're both pretty much minimum wage. But a mentor once told me, whether the job be big or small, do it right or not at all. And I've taken that principle to heart. So when I was bartending, During downtime, I would wipe down the tables. I would clean the bottles. I would do the best I could when times were busy or not. If I read that a customer wanted to chat, even if there were other things I'd rather be doing, I would chat with the customer. Really listen to their individual needs. I think that's a core part of customer service. Working with Avista, I did not feel this. I spoke to one of the managers and uh, her comment was she's not going to change the lights to the old sodium ones that I want and that's not what I want I don't want the old ones I recognize that's outdated technology but I don't want commercial grade floodlights in a neighborhood either I wasn't even able to express what I wanted (laughs) and in customer service that will cause needless complications. If a employee doesn't even know what the customer wants, how can a problem be rectified? So that is another core. So understand what the customer wants, treat the customer as an individual, and follow through. Whether the job be big or small, do it right or not at all. 
For the 10 list, we have number one, communicate through email. Number two, one-touch communication when possible. Number three, answer each question asked. Number four, express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. Number five, include customer in the process. Follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and company. Number six, be professional. Remove pish-posh words, assumptions, and emotions. Number seven, explore definitions and duties of morals, ethics, and legality. Compare and contrast. Number eight, minimize chit-chat and fluff. Number nine, organize information through a relevant subject line. Create templates and number questions. And number 10, treat foot soldiers with respect. Escalate an issue before emotions rise. So that is the 10 list. Go ahead, go over the typed section for each. So number one, communicate through email. Create a pink zone tangible document to review if questions arise. Doing so removes a he said, she said component and holds people accountable for their words. Additionally, text communications are more efficient and less intrusive than phone calls. Phone calls require both parties to offer undivided attention in order to be effective. With many things going on at one time within the environment, undivided attention in 2016 is a rare commodity. If a person is in the middle of a task and receives a phone call regarding a different subject, their conscious attention needs to shift. To shift conscious attention requires energy, time, and disrupts a flow of thinking prior to the phone call. Emails allow both parties to communicate on their own terms, as well as ample time to formulate thoughts. Mental energy is saved when communication is allowed to occur organically, as opposed to forced through a phone call. Terms of an agreement can be outlined and absorbed through text. Memory is faulty. Words are concrete. Most problems do not require immediate attention. If a response takes a few hours or a day and is well thought out, the customer will be better served than if a disorganized phone call were offered as a solution. Research complications on an individual basis until complete. Once complete, check emails for new inquiries. Batch emails as opposed to read them as they arrive. Communicate through email, I do feel this is an efficient way to communicate in business, but not always. There are times where a phone call is an optimized solution, but if there are several inquiries, several issues going on, also the customer likely has a nine to five job as well and needs to focus on other things, receiving phone calls could be disruptive or get them in trouble, things like that, where Emails allow people to communicate on their own terms. Part about batching emails. So what I mean by that is rather than check emails as they come in, say like, okay, I check emails at eight o'clock in the morning, one o'clock and four o'clock. Handle the customer complications or whatever job duties may be, and then handle all of the emails at one time. I think that saves in conscious brain energy. I think it, it sucks a lot of energy to think about one thing, then receive an email, then 15 minutes later, receive an email on a different subject, and then go do this, and then do that. It's, um, 
it's less efficient to multitask in that capacity. Whereas batching the emails and offering undivided attention to one issue until there's some sort of resolution and then send off that issue and then handle a new issue, I think that may be a bit more of an efficient approach. So number two, one-touch communication when possible. If a simple request is read, answer the inquiry immediately. Quick responses dramatically increase efficiency for both parties. Subconscious brain power is wasted when communications remain stagnant or left to linger. Move a conversation along with diligent action. When an email is read, answer the question right away and move on. Certain stigmas exist in the mind where a person is uncomfortable with answering a question right away. The stigma deals with a person having nothing better to do. A stigma of this nature is emotion-based. Emotions, stigmas, and personal feelings tend to hinder a business transaction. When communicating, be efficient. Answer a simple question when read, regardless of time sent. Use one-touch communication. Once touched, communicate, then move on. Free up subconscious mental energy within the mind of both parties and move on to other issues. In contrast to beliefs of this stigma, most people appreciate quick and diligent responses. Earn respect rather than hide in confusion. On the surface, this may seem contradictory to the batching of the emails. When I speak about regardless of when it's sent, so let's say there's 10 emails, it's four o'clock, it's time to check them. If one comes in at 3.58, it seems as though there's a stigma to not answer it, that replying quickly means the person has nothing better to do. I think this may be false and emotion-based. And especially if it's something easy, like an address or a name or a confirmation of receipt of something, Some, something that would take less than a minute to respond, just respond right away. Clear it from one's own subconscious processing and the subconscious processing of the other person. Just bam, one touch communication. Right when that email is read, deal with it. Also, I think this is a good rule of thumb for advertisements which are no longer desired. Right as soon as that advertisement is received, click unsubscribe right away. Just get it done. It's amazing how quickly these types of things accrue in a positive way where responding to inquiries clears up the mind, unsubscribing to garbage emails clears up the mind. And if one is done each day, that's 365 a year. That's a lot, that's a big number. It may seem small on the surface, but in the long run, there's a large impact. Number three, answer each question asked. Regardless of perceived relevance, answer all questions asked by a customer. If unable to answer, acknowledge the inquiry and either ask for more information or escalate if needed. To ignore a question is to display ignorance and be unprofessional. Display competence and intelligence. Address issues as they surface. When a question is asked, subconscious processing of the question remains open, waiting for a response. Similar to a computer with several open tabs, a question waiting to process will slow down an ability to move forward with other issues. Allow both parties to move forward. Address questions when asked. As the old saying goes, work smarter, not harder. Be smart. 
Answer a question when asked. Take preventative measures and extinguish coals of an issue before it becomes a fire. So this is a huge pet peeve of mine in business and in my personal life where I do feel about 90% of the time if I ask a person more than one question, only one question will be answered. (laughs) This drives me crazy. I think sometimes the person answers it in their head and thinks that's enough or doesn't know the answer or I don't know what. I think there's an infinite amount of reasons why people don't answer questions. But I consider this to be inconsiderate on a personal level and unprofessional when conducting business. So regardless of how ridiculous a question may seem or how complicated, so that whole continuum of simple and complex, at least address the issue. Say, hey, I don't know the address to the building, but I will look into it or whatever it may be. Let the other person know that the question was ingested and is being contemplated and a resolution is likely. Just ignoring questions, ignoring emails, all that, I think that's childish and disrespectful and unprofessional. So Mustachio points out, I'm following my word where on the pish posh feedback, some of those questions I felt were absolutely ridiculous, but I addressed them anyway, such as, The word wasn't removed, and then I explained what remove is. Sometimes there's things beyond the surface that are unknown. And I've found in life, it's best just to address them, clear my subconscious processing, clear their subconscious processing, and then move on. Easy peasy. Number four, express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. Put oneself in the customer's shoes. How would the situation feel if it were experienced firsthand? Focus on solving concerns with compassion by offering attention to their needs. Minimize mindless chit-chat and fluff. During a time of customer distress, remain focused on resolving their issue rather than chatting about irrelevant nonsense. Inquire with, tell me more. Be conscious to remove assumptions. Treat each customer as an individual with an individual thought process. Customers with a similar problem will likely desire a different solution. One size does not fit all when addressing human needs. As an employee, take the high ground if a customer becomes emotional. Have empathy for the customer as they are likely in a stressful situation seeking professional assistance. Be professional. Life is frustrating at times. The company representative is being paid for their service, whereas the customer is likely losing money through time lost investigating a problem. Have compassion towards customer needs. Humans are a species which rely on one another for survival. Become a positive link in a chain of survival. Be a 3H2 human. Focus with a perspective of health, happiness, and a humble perspective. When possible, lend a helping hand to a fellow human, brother or sister. Express empathy towards customer needs. So that's expressing empathy and compassion towards a customer. (sighs) Many times I feel as though I'm inconveniencing a customer service rep. (laughs) And this is strange considering that's their job. It's it's an occupation of this person to do this to recognize the customer doesn't want to 
call and complain and investigate either. Just have some compassion and empathy. Put oneself in the customer's shoes. I think that moves things along in a more productive manner. And that was one thing I did not feel in communicating with Avista was empathy and compassion towards my concern that having commercial grade lights in a residential neighborhood is less than optimal. The responses I received for the most part was, well, the lights are up and that's just how it is. And that's, I don't think, expressing compassion. Number five, include customer in the process. Follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and company. When a customer understands the why and how component behind business decisions, an amicable resolution is likely to result. Explain why the business operates as it does and how it plans to reach a resolution. Satiate an inherent desire within a customer to be included in a process to rectify a particular grievance. Provide an outline of the process from inquiry to completion. What is an intended course of action? To answer a question before it is asked is to prevent the mind from wandering in a negative emotional direction. Email an outline of anticipated steps and time frame. Explain the process with simplified and direct vocabulary first as an overview before going into specific detail. Start narrow, then expand. For reoccurring customer concerns, compose an email template with basic information. Plug in specific details unique to each situation in order to personalize the message. Provide support for the customer from inquiry to closure. Work with diligence to resolve the issue quickly with compassion. So this one, include a customer in the process, follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and the company. So Avista changed the light by my house, but didn't tell me, didn't uh, say, hey, on such and such day, we're gonna go out. This is what's going on. This is why we're doing what's happening. I had no idea. And the light appeared to be as bright as the original. I brought this up to the manager. I said, hey, when is the light gonna be changed? And she said, oh, it's already changed. <laughs> and I was very surprised to hear that. And then I stated that I did not notice a difference in brightness. And then she commented, well, they're pretty much the same level of brightness. I could not believe that. So what's the point of taking action, changing something, if it's essentially the same and the customer isn't notified of the change. You encourage people to include the customer in the process and to follow up, to say, hey, we changed the light, it's the same amount of brightness, is that okay? <laughs> Can we wrap up this issue? <laughs> Number six, be professional. Remove pish posh words, assumptions, and emotions. Be a conscious communicator. Offer conscious awareness towards differences between objective, pink zone, and subjective, yellow zone information. For example, to comment the temperature outside is 45 degrees is to be objective, pink zone. This response can be understood by others who lack specific background knowledge of the topic discussed. In contrast, to comment the temperature outside is cold is to be subjective, yellow zone. 
Cold varies from person to person and is not easily understood by an outside party. Speak in the pink zone. Remove pish-posh words. Words such as actually, obviously, and a misuse of you can nudge a conversation in a negative direction. Speak from the I perspective and relay to a, the customer what can be done as opposed to what cannot. Be professional. Remove assumptions and emotions. The customer service employee represents a company and is being paid for their specific knowledge. Assumptions and emotions hinder progress towards an objective when conducting business. When speaking with a customer, remain within the scope of one's specialty. Emotions and assumptions tend to creep into a conversation when a person is posed with unexpected questions. Questions which challenge assumptions and require abstract thought are uncomfortable for many people. Be mindful of this inherent human trait. Learn behavior cues which arise during uncomfortable situations. Email communication allows a customer service rep to formulate words with conscious awareness and avoid outbursts of emotion. On the other hand, a customer is offered more freedom to become emotional and speak with assumptions. The customer is expressing a concern. Their daily activities are disrupted through a need to contact customer service. The inconvenience is likely going to cause distress and a clouded mindset. Humans tend to mimic other humans. As a professional, take the high ground. Lift a customer up. Remove assumptions and emotions. Lead a conversation with compassion. Lead a conversation towards the pink zone. Customers will sometimes vary greatly and other times slightly. Be mindful of treating each person with a unique mindset as each person is truly unique. Use intelligence when conducting information transfer. If unsure of an answer, conduct research, consult a coworker, or escalate the customer concern to a supervisor. Responding, I don't have an answer, or ignoring a question will further complicate an issue. The internet is an amazing tool. Oftentimes, a customer is more knowledgeable than the company representative. Treat a customer with respect. Give them the benefit of doubt. Gauge a customer's knowledge base before leading the conversation. Know which way to lead to avoid leading the ship ashore. And this one, number six, be professional, remove pish-posh words, assumptions, and emotions. I was uh, chatting with a neighbor. I was going on a walk, and um, oddly, he brought up complications with customer service. <laughs> he said, yeah, I had a problem, and I called in, and it seemed like the lady was painting her fingernails or texting her husband. She wasn't even paying attention to what I was saying. And then she got angry and hung up. <laughs> And these things happen frequently in customer service. It is a challenging arena to be a part of. And I recognize that, and I think most humans do. Being professional, removing pish-posh words, assumptions and emotions will help maintain a productive, positive conversation. I think problems happen when emotions are thrown into the mix. And I have been emotional uh, during all this customer service complications. I uh, asked one of the managers if she was capable of independent thought. <laughs> and that if there was a brain in between her ears. 
So those were questions. I was genuinely curious if she was capable of independent thought. Asking if there was a brain in between her ears was probably more on the emotional side than the productive one. I'm human. I speak in the yellow zone and have assumptions and things of that nature. I think it's um, natural. To be aware of these components, especially from a customer service rep, to consciously work towards a positive, progressive pink zone conversation. All right, number seven, explore definitions and duties of morals, ethics, and legality. Compare and contrast. Definition of moral, of or relating to principles of right and wrong, perceptual or psychological, rather than tangible or practical in nature or effect. Definition of ethical, conforming to accepted and especially professional standards of conduct. Definition of legal, enforced in courts of law. To summarize these three areas of thought, morals are a code of honor from within, ethics are a code of honor within a group, and legality involves a third party. When working in customer service, consider how words and actions relate to each of these groups of thought. To maintain a steady balance between the three may offer some challenges, especially when employed by a large corporation. Are morals sacrificed for a paycheck? Be conscious of phrases such as, I'm only doing my job, this isn't my job, and my hands are tied. If these words are spoke, examine a situation through virtue. Are actions in line with one's moral code of honor? Are words an excuse for laziness? or ignorance via hiding behind a false veil of employment duty? Explore the Stanley Milgram experiment. Offer consideration towards morals. After consideration towards morals is awarded, next consider ethics. What are standards of the group, of coworkers, and a company standard of employment? What actions would take place if a supervisor was in the room, watching, monitoring communications? During tech advances of 2016 and beyond, many employee actions are monitored even when unexpected. If morals are too weak to guide, allow ethics of a watchful employer to sway actions towards a diligent resolution with a customer. Once morals and ethics are considered, ponder legal ramifications of actions. If thoughts and actions are in line with the 3H2 perspective, a legal consideration is rarely needed. To involve a third party, a lawyer, or the courts is a last resort option once morals and ethics fall short. Sometimes, another person's moral and ethical compass is too far from one's own. In these cases, before resorting to emotions, assumptions, and words of anger, involve a third party. Confrontations are most productive when avoided. Before including a third party, exhaust all efforts of reason with the person in question. If stuck in the yellow zone and unable to resolve a concern through morals and ethics, involve a third party. Explore a situation through a legal lens. What insights are provided with a perspective which considers the law? Have the courts processed similar complications? What were the results? Okay, so this one, the difference between morals, ethics, and legality. Uh, morals, this is like a simplified way that I process the difference between morals and ethics. Morals are internal, what I believe to be 
an honorable thing to do. And then ethics are what is honorable within the group to take into account more than one's own moral compass. And then legality is a grander societal scale. With this adventure, with the streetlights, the city council representative, (laughs) when I asked for her to investigate having commercial grade streetlights in a residential area, her comment was that she didn't have legal authority over a vista. (laughs) And that comment blew my mind because at no point did that even enter my thinking that I thought the city council could, you know, slap an injunction or do some crap like that. No, it's more of, hey, we're a community. What does the community want? What is the healthiest thing for the community? And then acting on that. So I was taking a moral and ethical stance where she was taking a legal one that confused me. I do encourage people in customer service and in working with people in general to identify a difference between morals, ethics, and legality. Also, I kind of just threw in the Stanley Milgram experiment. This is a, a famous study studied in psychology. There are original videos, I think it was from the 60s, maybe 70s, and they're available on YouTube. So I do recommend people YouTube the Stanley Milgram experiment. People are told to administer an electric shock to someone and then the person getting the electric shock is screaming and in pain and it goes to like a deadly level but someone in a lab coat says a simple phrase you must continue you must continue the power of someone in a lab coat someone telling another human to do something even though morally and ethically that person may disagree with it there's a inherent human trait to follow authority i do encourage folks to look into the stanley milgram experiment and to be conscious of times when there is a a blind following of someone simply because they're an authority figure number eight minimize chit chat and fluff Long have gone the days where how are you doing meant something. Nowadays, this phrase is spoke and answered with mechanistic processing. The majority of chit-chat follows this pattern, questions asked out of habit or perceived obligation rather than genuine concern for others. Additionally, chit-chat and fluff distract from an issue at hand. Energy is required to process the nonsense which is unrelated to solving a problem. The brain is likely to dump the information as opposed to store the conversation in long-term memory, further rendering chit-chat useless. Get to the point when conducting business. People have friends and their mother for chit-chat and gossip. Imagine if five minutes were spent with each customer on mindless chatter. Multiply five minutes by 30 customers dealt with in a day. The result, two and a half hours is wasted per employee per day. With 10 customer service reps spending five minutes of chit chat per customer over a five day work week, 125 hours of wasted time per week is spent being counterproductive. Ain't nobody got time for that. Fluff is another hindrance when considering business with the modern world. 
Back in the day, fluff was thought to be respectful, offer time to process, convince people to want what the salesman was selling. In modern times, people often know what they want and are privy to their needs. Fluff, needless extras, will slow down a communication rather than progress it forward. Similar to the example above, fluff wastes time and mental energy. Imagine a frustrated customer who seeks pink zone answers and receives irrelevant yellow zone fluff. A need to sift through garbage in order to find gold will further frustrate an already inconvenienced customer. Personal opinions which are unrelated to an inquiry, redundant explanations, and words intended to deflect from the subject have no place within duties of problem solving. Tap into a moral code. How would these tactics feel on the receiving end? Follow the golden rule and treat others as though actions were directed towards oneself. Be concise and digestible with a point. Be a conscious communicator. Solve a problem to the satisfaction of the customer and move on. Minimize chit-chat and fluff. Speak with compassion in the pink zone. So number eight, minimize chit-chat and fluff. This one drives me crazy. In recent communications and in overall, it seems the majority of time spent is on Hey, how are you doing? Oh, what's this? Oh, blah, blah. When my mind is focused on solving a problem, that's what I want to talk about. (laughs) I want to talk about solving the problem. And how am I doing? I'm confused. I want to get things done. That's how I'm doing. I'm not fine or good or okay or well or any of those robotic responses. It's, um, that's what I think chit chat and fluff is. They're just robotic responses that back in the day meant something. When someone asked, how are you doing? They meant it. And if the person wasn't doing all right, if their fence fell over and their cattle got loose, people would help. Some action would take place. Now it's a a completely different animal. And I do encourage people to really minimize uh, chit chat and fluff. Number nine, organize information through a relevant subject line create templates, and number questions. Organization is optimized on an individual basis. Experiment through trial and error. Find out what works and put it into practice, as well as discard systems and strategies which hinder progress. Ask coworkers and friends what works for them. Research cutting-edge strategies for productivity today, as yesterday's strategies are best left in yesterday. File emails by recipient, subject, or another category of choice. Choose a relevant subject line. If an email thread was started by another with something ambiguous such as hello or a question, change the subject line or start a new thread of emails. If a thread becomes confusingly long or a subject of discussion changes, start a new thread. Notes and thoughts may be clear today, but project into the future. If a subject requires attention in a few months, organize subject lines and short email threads will save time down the road. Create templates for commonly asked questions in order to save time and energy. If the same basic information is typed a few times, copy and paste the information into a Word document. Save similar subjects and concerns into folders for future use. Optimize templates. 
Spend time through meticulous, conscious word formulation once, then benefit from numerous pink zone communications in the future. Add a personal note at the beginning and end to minimize a robotic feel to templated communications. As discussed earlier, answer all questions asked. When questions are posed in paragraph form, human attention is often directed towards one particular question, leaving the rest unanswered. To increase the likelihood of an answer to each question, number the questions. Be direct as possible and separate each question with a space in between. At the end of the email, use a closer with something which summarizes how many questions there are. For example, I request attention towards the four questions in this email. There is a fine line between repetition and redundancy. Use repetition without redundancy. So that's number nine, organize information through a relevant subject line, create templates and number questions. These have been helpful business strategies for me when I worked in corporate customer service. Also with uh, 3H2, having multiple similar inquiries, uh, hiring a web designer and an editor, instead of retyping the same thing over and over, I created a template. And I think straight up templates are a bit robotic and that it's important to put individual touch on uh, each email. Also to number questions. I don't fully understand it, but that phenomena of if I ask more than one question, there's a 95% chance only one question will get answered. But when I number them and then ask, hey, may I have an answer to these four questions? It seems to work out much better. Number 10, treat foot soldiers with respect. Escalate an issue before emotions rise. This one is more for the customer than the customer service representative. As a customer, be mindful of a person's position within a company. Is the employee a manager or a foot soldier? Does the person have authority to rectify a concern? Most people desire to earn an honest wage. Work their way up from the bottom to top. Befriend those on the bottom. Learn how a business works from the ground up. The foot soldiers are the heart of a business. If information is desired, accurate information, go to the source. Examine actions and duties of the day-to-day -day worker in the field. Have respect for the messenger. Understand the scope of a person's job before expressing a concern to them. Learn as much information as possible through their perspective before escalating an issue. As a customer, treat a complication as if it were a staircase one step at a time, slowly reaching the top. So on this one, for this particular issue with the streetlights, both of the managers at Avista that I spoke with live in country homes away from streetlights. They get to sleep <laughs> without a commercial grade floodlight shining on their house. <laughs> and they can go for a walk at night without wearing sunglasses in their neighborhood. And I think that's a complication with corporate business structures where the high ups are far removed from the foot soldiers, from the customers, from the people who experience a complication. And that goes back to the empathy. 
I felt like there was very little empathy for my situation because the people who approve installation of the lights don't have them near their homes. And I think it's important to look at things from varied perspectives and to think of the people who are affected by some sort of product as well as the foot soldiers who install them. I spoke with two gentlemen who modified the streetlight and one of the guys showed me the differences between the lights, explained the wattage, explained what was going on. I received more information from the foot soldier than I did from two managers who run these projects. And that blows my mind. <laughs> Hopefully some of these customer service strategies will help those kind folks over at Avista and beyond give people some thought seeds. That's what these are. These strategies and ideas are neither right nor wrong, good nor bad. They just are. These are my perspectives from life experience. I imagine in a year, I'll have a different perspective. These ideas will be upgraded and modified. That's a beautiful part about being human, is that we all are infinitely upgradable. Be open to change and to upgrading thought rather than being dogmatic and following the rule book because it's the rule book. Well, why? Why are the rules here? How old are these rules? How can we change them? That is today's 10 list. 10 list for customer service. Number one, communicate through email. Number two, one touch communication when possible. Number three, answer each question asked. Number four, express empathy and compassion towards customer needs. Number five, Include customer in the process. Follow up to ensure amicable resolution for the customer and the company. Number six, be professional. Remove pish-posh words, assumptions, and emotions. Number seven, explore definitions and duties of morals, ethics, and legality. Compare and contrast. Number eight, minimize chit-chat and fluff. Number nine, organize information through a relevant subject line. Create templates and number questions. And number 10, treat foot soldiers with respect. Escalate an issue before emotions rise. So that's the 10 list for season one, episode 12 of the 3H2 Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility and our listener challenge to fight for community well-being. Think of something greater than oneself. For example, I could just fight and inquire about the streetlight near my house and get that fixed and then call it a day. But there are my neighbors, my fellow community folk who have to put up with these unhealthy commercial grade nonsense lights in a residential neighborhood. <laughs> put in and managed by people who do not have them by their homes. <laughs> That's what I would like to do is say, hey, if these lights are so great, put one next to your house. And I am very confident that neither one of the managers would do that because I imagine they like looking at the stars in the sky and enjoy calming effects of moonlight and darkness during nighttime. All y'all 3H2 humans out there, fight for community well-being. Be a part of something bigger than oneself.
All right, that wraps it up today and uh, February 26th at 7 o'clock. The Chiefs game here in Spokane against the uh, Prince George Cougars. Like to see some of all y'all out there, as well as in Dr. Amit Goswami's online class. It's not a normal class where there's a curriculum and all that. It's um, it's open to the individual, how much or how little they would like to participate, and that is through Glidewing, G L I D E W I N G. Also on that site are other authors and spiritual leaders, people who want to change paradigms and fight for community well-being. Who knows? Maybe a favorite author is on there. So I do encourage folks to check that out. All right. Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy.